0: From the 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories Storytelling Show, this is Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez.
1: Stories and conversations with immigrants, refugees, second, third generations, and allies, where we explore the ideas, policies, and histories that forge national identity, community, and belonging in America. We are your hosts Angel Ling and
0: Néstor Gómez.
1: For refugees and immigrants, our life stories are often shaped by our lack of and need to seek physical and emotional safety and shelter. We encounter detours and bumps that push us towards different directions without our permission Though perhaps when time comes for us to look back on our life path, if it could be plotted on a line, might look more or less straight. This next story you're about to hear is all about life's bumps we encounter and overcome. Here is Alejandra's story as told on stage for 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories as part of Chicago's Filet of Solo Festival on January 17, 2020 at Lifeline Theatre.
2: I was born in South America, in Chile, in 1974. My parents are political refugees from Augusta Pinochet dictatorship. Um, I was born under some very unusual circumstances. My parents were being uh, persecuted by the government or the military. And so when I was born, we had to escape from the hospital the same day so that's how my story begins and it seems like it's been that way for a very long time. Um, we arrived in Chicago uh, in 1976. I was a year and a half um, and I was I was a toddler. Uh, it was my sister, my mom, and my father. Um, I was very confused when I was young, when I was a child. I didn't know where I belonged. I felt um, it was always about Chile and returning someday and the fight to go back to our country. And um, it was very, very difficult to grow up in that atmosphere. Um, I think, Because of that, I spiraled down a very dark path in my life of Mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol for many, many years. And uh, today I am five and a half years sober. It's not been easy, but I'm here. And I, because of my poor choices in life, I was homeless for several years on the streets of Chicago, uh, trying to find my way back. Somehow I got lost, or I was born lost, I don't even know. I just know that I am here, I have arrived, and I'm grateful to to life um, and my sobriety because I was in a very dark place in my life. I neglected my family and myself from going back to my country um, or where I was born. And uh, 20 years passed by and and I finally was able to go get to a place where I was ready to go visit my family I had not seen in 20 years. And this was a few months ago in August. And because of my drug addiction, I had several run-ins with the law. i can not going to discuss that. <laughs> um, so uh, when I returned, upon my return from South America, I was detained by ICE at the airport uh, because of my background for a few hours. And they interrogated me. Um, and decided to release me that day, but I had to check in with them, uh, December the 19th, which was a month ago. Uh, That day, I was accompanied by several friends and organizations, Um, we decided to put a lot of public pressure and media on the story, because it would be the only way to bring light into an issue that is going on right underneath our noses, and we are unaware. I did not know this was happening, uh, and I am, I am, the more I do research, the more I want to be involved in in this story. Um, my check-in went well. I was, they agreed to let me go that they, uh, they, they were, they are not, they didn't detain me, but they're moving forward with deportation. So, um, which means that I not have only been kicked out of one country, but now I will be kicked out of two countries. And again, I don't know where I belong. This is the story of my life, it seems. Um, it's just, it's a very, it is very challenging to move forward. When you don't know where you belong, I am a single parent of two boys who look up to me and now our family might be separated by this decision. I have paid for my wrongs not once, but many times. And as if I have not paid again, I will be I will be March 16th in front of an immigration. Judge to be judged again because obviously I have not paid enough for my mistakes. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And the
1: journey continues. Here's Alejandra and Nestor with independent media producer and StoryCorps facilitator in Chicago, Rocio Santos, sharing their thoughts on second chances in life and on the current White House administration's targeting of those who need a second chance the most.
3: I would like to hear more about your story. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Chicago.
4: Um, I was born in Chile. I was born in 1974, and my parents are political refugees from the Augusto Pinochet regime.
3: What was it for you, like, living in that era
4: well, I was I was very my so I was very young. I was a toddler. Um and I moved we were not moved, but we were um exiled from Chile and I was very young, but for me to grow up in Chicago um knowing that, you know, I grew up around a lot of politics. My parents um they were they've been both in concentration camps in Chile. And again, and this is why I speak out so much, because they did that. They've taught me that when I see injustice anywhere, I should speak up. And so that's that's how I grew up.
3: How was the experience when you were conscious of why you arrived to the U.S. because of, you know, exile? Um, Was there a point when you were like, oh, you know, this is why we're here? You know, I always I always knew that I
4: wasn't that I was from I was born there. Um and again, my mom, I grew up around protests and I grew up around meetings, political meetings that took place in my house. Um so I always felt like I was from here but I wasn't from here. But I knew I belonged somewhere else. Like I knew that we had came from somewhere else i didn't know where this mystery place was but it was a place where we had been kicked out and which is interesting because interestingly enough i have not i, I guess i i've been kicked out of one country right and now i have the chance of being kicked out of another country so there it's again of like oh where are okay well then where do i belong you know
3: was there any point where you identified as bicultural, or you know, it kind of like was ringing in your bell, like, oh, hey, uh, you know, I'm from both places, and yeah, I'm here. I mean, I do.
4: That's, I mean, I, I honestly feel like I'm from Chicago. If you ask me, where are you from? I'm from Chicago. This is where I grew up. This is where I have my friends. This is where I, you know, I have my first experiences. Um, I was, I was in Chile for a very for a couple. Years I spent there in school, but I came back because I honestly feel that this is where I'm from.
3: And if I may ask, um, I kind of want to go deeper into your story of how you became, you you know, how um, you came to the point where addiction became part of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you tell us or could you take us to how you got there? So I feel like
4: I had a lot of traumas in my life you know, my parents and my my dad always says, you know, my mom was in a concentration camp when she was pregnant from me. And I think that that, even though I was in her stomach, I know that that has to cause some effect in a human. Um, and also when I was born, you know, they were um, being chased by military. And so when I was born in the hospital, they had to escape. So I was born already a refugee, right? Um, because they were going to get killed. Um, we, I was separated at a very young age from my mom because she was in a concentration camp. So I think that all those traumas leading up to, like, you know, even here, like listening over and over again at their experiences, you know, in the concentration camp and how they were tortured and how they survived that did something to me. You know, I didn't know how to process these feelings as, as a young child, and so I think that I self-medicated to be able to just kinda of disconnect from all this, right? And um, I started at a very young age, at 13 years old, I was drinking, that was my first uh, escape, was alcohol. Did you, do you have any siblings? I do, I have a sister. She's a little older than me, she's eight years older. Um, so she has a lot more recollection of how Chile was, when we were kicked out, um, I don't have any. I was very, I was a baby, but I have a sister. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you recall any happy moments when I was a baby, when I was a kid?
4: Oh yeah, when you were we had, younger. Yeah, we had a lot. I mean, it was, it was a good life. I mean, it was a good. I can't imagine what it is to be kicked out of a, of a country, kicked out of your home, right? Um, you know, my my dad left from the concentration camp that he was in directly to the airport. My father never was able to say bye to his parents. They died, actually, without him being able to say bye. That has to take a toll on people's lives, you know? I mean, just, just to be treated like that in handcuffs to the airport and then here. You came here, Four four it was the four of us, and there was nobody expecting us it was it was a church with a, a lady with a sign literally was the person that was so that has to take a toll on people's lives,
3: you know and i i I guess i it affected me too. Now, going back a little bit, you mentioned that you started, um, you know, drinking at the age of 13, um, especially in that time where we need, like, you know, that sort of um, support from our parents, from mm-hmm. anybody. It, it's just a tough time for yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, w- did you feel alone? Um, I don't know. Take us to that younger self with you.
4: Um Yeah, I always felt alone. I, you know, I was a very depressed child. You know, if when people say that depression affects adults, I can tell you that depression affects children as well. I was very depressed. Um, I remember at at a young age crying all the time, crying because I didn't know what was happening inside of me. You know, and um, and again, I didn't know how to. I was, I was, I would always. I think I was always isolated. I always isolated myself. So I was at war at a very young age with myself. And um, and it just took me down this spiral. It spiraled out of control until my older, you know, my adulthood. It was just very hard for me to get to come out of that
3: crisis. Very hard. It took years. Especially when you don't have that uh support i mean i remember like back then we didn't talk about mental mental health or any issues or right. you know like uh psychological support for example exactly yeah.
4: exactly it's taboo and that's why it's important to speak out because you know mental illness is very very it's a very serious i mean it can take you to a place in your life if you don't have treatment the proper care and um I mean I'm a perfect example of that. I was I spiraled into such a crisis that I was homeless on the streets. I mean I was literally sleeping on the streets without anywhere to go. And so um I uh I pulled myself out of it, but it just it took incredible strength to be able to do something like that and not it, not everyone is able to because they're afraid of speaking. They're afraid of telling someone, hey, you know, I have a problem. I think I'm depressed. Or hey, you know, I'm using heroin because I can't deal with my feelings. Because they're scared because of how the stigma is. Right? So if I say that I have a drug problem, what everybody's going to look at me in a way. Right? Um, So that's what we have to break. We have to break the stigma of people drug addicts being criminals again right how
0: did you
3: find that strength because as you say many people are don't not that they don't have that strength but sometimes you are just like into that hole that it's so tough you know i was you know for for a long
4: time i lived in fear i lived in fear because i was born in fear right i was born with the persecution of the military chasing us it was it was just a constant fear throughout my life and so that fear is what kept me paralyzed i was afraid of speaking about my problem the moment i broke that fear the moment that i said you know what i really don't care what anybody says i need help that was the moment where i was able to pull myself out with a lot of help i mean i didn't do it by myself i had i had several organizations behind me, like A Safe Haven, um, they were the ones that gave me a space for me to finally, like, lay my head on the pillow and be like, okay, I need to organize. My life is out of control. And I just don't know where to start, you know, but it's fear. It's all fear. It's all fear.
3: For anybody out there with, you know, like, that feels very similar to you, um, do you have any lessons that you have learned throughout, like, mm. this journey?
4: Mm. There's There are so many. Um, but the number one lesson that I can tell people that are out there is that they are not alone, you know? there's help if you want help there's help and don't be ashamed because shame is also something that will keep you you know in a dark place in your life to feel shame there's no shame in being human not at all
0: what happened at the airport when you came back from your trip
4: so, in August of 2019, I went on a trip um, to visit some family members in Chile. I had not been there in um, a little over 19 years. And so, I, um, I wanted to go see uh, some family members and I went out there. I was there for two weeks and upon my return, I was stopped at the airport in Chicago at O'Hare. Because of, and I was pulled to the side because of some, um, I guess it was flagged. There was a red flag on my background because I had some misdemeanor convictions that they were concerned about.
0: And at this point, who was the person that detained you? Did the police detain you? Did a
4: uh... Uh, CBP, so Homeland Security.
0: And what was the outcome of that situation?
4: So after a couple hours there, they let me go but with the promise to return for a check-in with um, the immigration office here in Chicago. And that was in November. And what happened was I had to collect all of my dispositions of my cases and present them at this interview.
0: And they were doing all this uh, because you have some prior...
4: Yeah, so I have some misdemeanor convictions... um, That fall under the crimes involving moral turpitude.
0: But you had already served your time. You These are old.
4: Yes, these are old. um, These are old cases. Uh, The the oldest one is from 2012, and um, but under the law of moral turpitude, it's still very much to be questioned.
0: And that is something that applies only for uh Im- for immigrants or something that applies only for uh homeland security? Yes. So for, for those people who are listening to this, uh let's put it on, on a way that they might be able to understand this. Uh let's say that you got some um tickets, parking tickets, moving violations, some tickets as you were driving or as you were parking, and then you already pay your ticket, you already uh you already paid the fines, and then years later uh, somebody looks at uh, uh, somebody with authority looks at your car in the street and they decide that they're gonna tow it because of the previous ticket that you already got that you already paid for. So that's basically something like what immigration. Very, would yeah, do. it's
4: very similar to that. Um, I had, I've, you know, I've served my time and I've paid my dues. Um, long, long past. And so now what they're doing is they're grabbing my cases and I'm going in front of a civil court. So I was convicted by a criminal court and now it's going to be in front of an immigration judge, which is a civil, civil matter.
0: And when you say that you go in front of the, in front of the judge, are you going there by yourself? Are you having somebody representing you or some, you having uh, somebody who's helping you?
4: Yeah, so I have two organizations that are representing me, um, NIJC, which is the National Immigration Justice Center, and I also have the Resurrection Project. Um, A lot with both of them, we, on um, the first check-in that we had, we we were there with them and uh, a lot of supporters came out and we did a rally. There was also a lot of media coverage on this case.
0: And do you feel that the media coverage helped? your case
4: I don't think it's helped um in favor or not I think it has shed some light into this matter there's a lot of people that are unaware that this is happening and also um also it's important for me um for people that are detained um in you know, for example, in McHenry County, there's over 5,000 people that are detained with cases similar to mine, um, waiting trial because that was the pro- that was the entire situation with the check-in was the it, there was um, there was a chance that I was going to get detained, and so that's why we put so much media coverage on this because um, I'm certainly not a flight risk, right? And I have nothing to hide. And um, so it's important for me, for people that have similar cases to mine, to know that they're not alone.
0: Uh, so these organizations that help you, can you tell us exactly how they help you?
4: So they're, they are the National Immigration Justice Center. Um, I have a lawyer through them.
0: And uh, this is very important because there's a lot of of immigrants, as you were saying, that either are in the same situation or don't have any representation. We hear of many cases at the border where kids, babies basically, five, six, seven years old, are coming in front of a judge without any representation. So that's why there's so many organizations that are out there trying to help people, trying to help our immigrant community to have a representation. Correct. And... What was the outcome of all of this so far?
4: So I had to well the first interview the first check-in is what they call it um I was there I presented my my all my dispositions which means all my cases and um they needed some more information so I had to come back and when I came back they um all agreed I guess the uh, Officers agreed that my case is going to proceedings for deportation. So that means that I am going to stand in front of a judge and be judged again for my crimes for or cr- for my mistakes.
0: And you came to this country when you were one year old. Mm-hmm. So you have spent your whole life in this country. My entire life. Your entire life. You have kids that were born in this country. Yes. Um, for those that are listening... Why should you, or anybody in your position, should be given another opportunity?
4: You know, that's a really good question, because in my case, right, I can only speak for me. Um, I have, I was in a crisis for many years um, because of addiction. So I am a recovering addict as well. I've been clean for five and a half years, almost six. And it's important that people know that there are second chances in life. We all deserve them. And, um, and that people need to stop criminalizing us so much as addicts. We are people. We're not bad people. We are just, um, we have a problem.
0: Yeah. No. And this is, this is an important story to know, to hear about, to talk about, because there is this myth uh, about immigrants. They either see us, as people that are lazy that don't want to work that want to depend on the government or they see us as people that come and work and take over the jobs or they see us as criminals so there are all aspects of immigrants there are all kinds of immigrants but we are just human beings we are human beings that are trying to make a living that are trying to have a life that we do make mistakes sometimes that do we um, err because erring is part of being human if anything you're story is very important because of that, because it shows a real human, a real person, a real immigrant, who, as you say, has lived her whole life here in the United States.
4: Correct. And also, it's important for me that people know also that there's a way out of addiction if we have the proper help. And also, it's important for me to highlight the fact that um, there are organizations that help people. Um, You know, I was homeless on the street. Addiction took a toll on my life. And I was just fortunate enough to find a safe haven foundation who helped me um, get back on track. Um, You know, I was, again, like I said, I was homeless. And so I needed that space where I had to, um, to just kind of like recover from the traumatic experience that addiction involves.
0: So you're uh you're not only an immigrant, uh you're also an activist. Uh you help others that are in the same situation, immigrant situation that you are through your story, but you also help those that are have dealing with addiction, that are dealing with homelessness.
4: Yes, I um I just I just talk. I just speak. I I don't have um I'm not in I'm not in a box anymore. You know, I just want the more I tell my story, the more people find hope in knowing um, that they can come out of any situation and be able to reinvent themselves. You know, I currently work for a newspaper called Negocios Now. Um, I am the assistant publisher to the publisher. And um, again, you know, I was homeless and now I'm here, which is which is why it's important for, for people to understand that we, sh- we do have second chances in life and we should take them. And just
3: to end this, um, how would you describe yourself now at the present? Who's oh, Alejandra man. Cano
4: now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a mom, you know? A mom I am. I gave, okay, so this is the best way I can describe. I gave my kids back their mom. You know, my, my I get so emotional because I went through such a really bad time in my life. But I don't know. I'm just I'm free. I'm free to speak however I want. I don't I don't have problems with telling people who I am or what I stand for no matter what the outcome is, right? Even, you know, I have a lot of people right now saying, you shouldn't be talking about this and you shouldn't be talking about that because, you know, that can affect your case or this can affect. And I'm saying, you know what? I don't really care. I don't care because this is beyond me. This is not what happens to me. This is beyond me. There has to be a change for people in my same case or in cases that are similar to mine. For them to have a platform to rebuild their life, you know, to have a real solid chance in life, to be able to to reinvent themselves. And that's how that's what I have done. You know, I, I have my kids back, I live with my kids, I'm a single parent, I am a I'm, I am, a, um, I am a, a mom, I'm a sister, I am an aunt. you know, I, I've given my soul back life you know i'm i'm just a happy free crazy person i i i i love the life that i have i wouldn't change it for anything in the world i go through a lot of moments like right now i'm going through a very hard time with uncertainty but there's there's recovery that i have you know the people that love me and support me are there for me and so I just, I just, you know, I take it one day
3: at a time, and I hope for the best. And I just want to say that I'm so glad that you bring that up, that you're a mom, that you are a sister— Mm-hmm. That you're a friend, because sometimes uh, with this broken immigration system, we forget about people, correct? about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we just see the numbers, but we don't, you know, see behind that. Mm-hmm. And there is a family, like you have a family, you're a mom, you're a strong woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you have overcome all of this. I have, I have overcome and
4: no matter what happens, you know, no matter what happens in March or, you know, in the future, um, I just want to be able to say that I spoke up, you know, that I, if I do get deported, I'm going to um, feel free that I was able to speak my mind and speak who I am without having the fear. I never want to fe- feel fear again, ever. I'm not going to. I'm just not going to, it's not going to happen ever again to me. Fear will keep me sick. So I'm going to keep speaking.
1: That was Chicago-based activist Alejandra Cano. Alejandra is a single mother of two who came to the United States when she was one and a half years old, with her parents who were political asylees from Chile. She has lived in the U.S. for 41 years and is a lawful permanent resident, but now fighting in civil court from possible deportation. You can follow Alejandra's ongoing case with hashtag StandWithAlejandra or with us on 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories Facebook page. Special thanks to Story Chicago for inviting us to their space to record the interview portion of this episode. Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez is a production of 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories.
0: More information on 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories can be found on our website Storyteller.com and the show's Facebook page. Please contact us if you have a story you want to share or would like to invite the show to your city or organization near you.
1: Immigration Stories podcast is created, produced, by Nestor Gomez and Angel Link. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share.